Hello, everyone, and welcome to Job Board Geek. It's the podcast about the business of connecting candidates and employers. My name is Jeff Dickey Chasens. I'm the Job Board Doctor, and here with me today, and my co-host, the always amused Stephen Rothberg of College Recruiter. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I was at a NHL game a couple days ago, and my Minnesota Wild clinched a playoff spot. So now it's just a question of how quickly they get eliminated. And for those of us who are not sports fans, I assume you're probably talking about hockey since you're out of Winnipeg, right? There is no other sport other than ice hockey. So yes. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, here in Iowa, baseball rules the roost. We uh, don't have a big hockey presence. But um, anyway, I uh, today I'm very excited. We have uh, Damon Levy of Class A Transport and Jobs and Rigs here. He's going to be talking to us about his business and how he handles recruiting in the logistics industry, which is very, very interesting. But first of all, Stephen, I just wanted to chat with you about some information that I got from one of my connections. I found out that ForceFinder, the job board software provider that's been around since, I don't know, the early early to mid-2000s, is shutting down their service as of May 31st of this year. Job Board HQ, which is another job board software provider, is going to be working with them to, to move their ca- uh, clients over to the Job Board HQ platform. I thought it was kind of interesting because... When I started out in the industry back in 97, there were no job board software companies. Everyone that was doing it, you know, made their own. And I really wasn't aware of any job board software providers until the early 2000s when JobX came out. I I believe they were the first. I may be wrong about that. And when I started consulting back in 2009, the whole landscape had changed. I found this out very quickly by working with clients and they'd say, you know, I'm getting started. I need a job board software platform. And I started looking and I kept finding them and finding them and finding them. And finally, I just said, I've got to write up a buyer's guide to this because this is just ridiculous. I can't keep track of all these providers. And right now, my buyer's guide typically has about 50 different providers. And I know I'm missing uh, some that are out there Mm -hmm. because every year I find a new one. I think it's an interesting category because one of the things I do as a consultant that happens, this happens every, every month, sometimes every week is I get calls from people that are looking for a new software platform. And for me, it's become fairly straightforward. If you're a startup, use job board software. Don't try to Mm -hmm. build it on your own because you're going to spend a lot of money and you're probably going to have something that doesn't work. But if someone like you, Stephen, came and said, you know, I'm not happy with my platform, a lot of times the answer is, well, you need to engage a development company to build it for yourself. And the difference between those two situations are someone that knows what they're doing and someone that's just getting started and doesn't know what they're doing. And that, that really changes the landscape. You know, I know that you, Stephen, have been through many cycles of this. I was just curious to hear your thoughts about all this. Yeah. You know, when you when you brought this story to my attention, it immediately um, caused some PTSD, um, some flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we went, College Recruiter went live in 96. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like back in that era, there really was not job board software that you could either have your site hosted like on a SaaS basis or by the source code, WordPress and the WordPress themes just weren't a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. They just simply didn't exist yet. We built 
our first software, we had a, a high school kid who actually still works for us as a contractor um, today. He built it for $3,000. Um, and it was just straight HTML. You could either search by location or by job category, but not by both. And when we had Initially, I think something like 25 concurrent users, then Cold Fusion told us that um, it wasn't a good day and that it would re- <laughs> reboot the server. Um, so anybody mentions Cold Fusion to me, um, them's fighting words. We were, I think, fairly early on in using job board software. Um, you know John Bellwell from, uh, he used right. to be a job uh, at Boxwood Technologies. So Boxwood hosted our site for a few years, starting in 98. Love the people there. The product for us at the time was great. They started to kind of go in one direction, um, being hosted, hosting association or job boards for associations. We were going in another direction. We ended up parting ways very amicably, went over to what is now next. Same sort of thing happened. They there was great until their business started to move in one direction. Our business started to move in another direction, parted ways very amicably. My warning is if you're a startup and you're looking to use job board software, I agree with you. That's the right path. Mm-hmm. But understand at some point you're going to reach a fork in the road. If your business is successful and you start to have probably thousands or even tens of thousands of candidates a day, if you've got probably hundreds of, of employers posting jobs to you, a lot of the job board software is just not going to keep up with that because you're going to want to customize it. No matter how good their software is, they're providing that software to probably hundreds of job boards. And so inevitably it becomes this one size fits all kind of model. You know, if it's your business, it's your business, not you don't want your search or your look and feel to be the same as dozens or hundreds of other sites. So I think it's a great entry into the market. But as you scale up, it's it just it puts handcuffs onto you. Yeah, I generally agree with you on that. Um, on the other hand, I've also worked with job boards that are, you know, I'd consider solid mid-tier job boards, you know, in, in the neighborhood of five, 10 million, 15 million a year. And they're on a job board software platform for very specific reasons that works for them. So I think the main thing that's, that is very important is just that you, you have a clear understanding of what you need and, you know, job board software can be an option. It mm-hmm. probably is not an option if you've been in the business for a while, because mm. you you know, you've got enough, like you said, special needs, but never, never say no. It's always worth giving, you know, taking a look at it. But anyway, a lot of, a lot of people have called me special, but not in a very complimentary <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think on that note, we need to move to our guest today, Damon Levy of Class A Transport and Jobs and Rigs. Uh, welcome to Job Board Geek. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was saying before we uh, started recording, I jumped at the chance to to have you on here because you represent a really interesting segment of the job board industry, and I'm hoping that we'll we'll all learn a lot. Um, why don't you start out by telling me? What your background is, how'd you get into the industry, how'd you end up focusing specifically on logistics and transportation? It's kind of an interesting story. Um, you know, out of high school, I jumped right into direct selling, marketing, uh, interested in computer technology, wanted to learn to code. I wanted to kind of be well-rounded. 
And I spent a, a fair amount of time, you know, in the direct sales, direct marketing, you know, got good at it. I had a couple of companies at the same time, you know, learn technology. And in 2002, my, my father, who had spent 35 years in the recruiting business doing permanent placement, it called me and, you know, it was a couple of years after the 2000 recession. And he said, look, I could use some assistance in, in some marketing here within the company because we're, we're having some challenges. And, you know, I jumped at the opportunity to, to jump in and, and put some ideas in place that ultimately uh, really helped the company, became very successful uh, ideas. And at the same time, I then started to learn the permanent placement side of the business. Mm. And my father was recruiting in healthcare. And after doing it for a little bit, and, and I, I realized, you know, the the healthcare permanent placement side of the business really wasn't for me. This was back in about 2002. So I did something kind of interesting. And, you know, through some of the things that I learned, there was always a method to picking an industry to recruit in when you were doing permanent placement. There had to be enough companies. You have to be able to get candidates. Uh, employers got to be willing to pay fees. So there's a criteria. So I started going through SIC codes. And looking at various industries and then doing some research and things like that. And, you know, I just, I came across one of the SIC codes that was trucking and transportation. What I ultimately did was, you know, practically overnight, we started doing permanent placement for truck drivers and it went quickly. We were doing really well at it, but something happened, which was kind of interesting, uh, which kind of goes against permanent placement is that the attrition rate was extremely high. Right. And some of our employers were basically coming to us and saying, look, why don't you just get me applicants? I'll pay you for the applicants and we'll do the work. You know, the light bulbs went off and that's how Class A Transport was born. You know, I got my team together at the time and because I knew my way around code, we basically had a board coded out within two weeks. Uh, We had launched the board and it immediately started to, you know, kind of take on a life of its own. I mean, obviously there was a lot more behind what we were doing and we had to, you know, follow the fundamentals of getting on the phone and letting people know about our services and all that. But that's how Class A Transport was born. Wow. You make it sound easy. It was, <laughs> I'll tell you, it was a lot of hard work, but I think that the direct selling background and then understanding permanent placement had an extreme impact as to being able to do it. And obviously understanding computers, you know, and not having to, you know, go figure out how to get a board going, um, you know, that helped. And I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, but it definitely made a difference. And coming from a guy who spent a lot of time on the phone and, you know, I knew that in order to get this thing going, we were going to have to work long hours. So, and I think it was 03, we, um, you know, we hit the ground running with this thing and uh, haven't looked back ever since. That's, that's awesome. I, I, I love the sort of your ability and willingness to evolve. It reminds me a lot years ago, it was, it was actually probably around the same time as when, when you were starting in early 2000s, I saw um, Guy Kawasaki speak. Yeah, um, who's an investor? He was an Apple evangelist. I uh-huh. think that was literally his job title when he, when he was there, very early employee. And he talked about a company that he had invested in that manufactured some item, chair, knife, whatever the heck it was, and basically they couldn't sell it for the intended purpose. 
all of their customers were buying it to use it for something different. And this company wouldn't sell when it found out that its product was being used for intent other than what they wanted it to be used for, they would stop selling it to those customers. And Guy Kawasaki was like, are you crazy? You've got customers who are trying to give you money. Figure out a way of making that easy for them. Um, and that yeah. kind of sounds like what, you know, your your philosophy. I'm, I'm always amazed at how many entrepreneurs believe that they know better than their customers how their product should be used. Um, once you sell that product, it's no longer your product. I learned that a long time ago in everything I did. I always listen to my customer because they will always tell you what they want and what they don't want. And we pivot based upon that information. And that has definitely been a big part of growth. No doubt about yeah. it. We're still doing it to this day. The other thing that you mentioned that maybe I can um, have you um, elaborate more. You said that you know the, the attrition rate was extremely high. And, and that's not um, a phenomenon that is only in the trucking industry, but especially over the last couple of years, trucking has been kind of the poster child for that. When you're talking with your clients, the employers, and they're talking with you about attrition, I see some trucking companies say, we need more truckers in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. More people have to learn how to drive trucks. Mm -hmm. And I see a small number that say, no, what we need is for people to drive trucks for longer, not just three months, but three years or 30 years. Um, what's your advice to your clients when you have, when they're having those discussions? I actually had it cut on my list here as one of your questions, Jeff, which is it's, I have a, a, a very different view on when it comes to some of these issues and coming from my background in the permanent placement, I hear both sides of this, especially in my industry. I come from a place that employers have to do one of two things is number one, I believe employers have to increase marketing because they need more people to talk to. I think that's a big thing because in any industry, there's going to be an ebb and flow of good times, bad times, pandemics, economy issues, wars, what's going on, and it's always going to affect things. And I really believe during those times, I've always really focused very heavily on let's just increase marketing, increase acti activity to get more people to talk to. The flip side of it, in addition to that, I'm, I'm also a very big believer in this idea that I think companies struggle very heavily, not only in trucking, in this onboarding process. And I'm sure you guys see a lot of this. There's, there's a real struggle in, you know, from when the applicant comes in to, you know, getting them to return calls, to getting them to show up to interviews, to getting them to start work. And this is a real, it's a point for me to, and we're working a lot on this. We'll talk more about that. But, and I think that in the trucking industry, the problem is that the attrition rate, I have never seen a solution that means a whole lot. Now I've seen a lot of my employers keep people where others don't. And I dig into that and I try to find out what are you doing? And I, and I usually see a common denominator that the person in HR, the owners or the vice presidents, the one that are controlling the staff, they have a bond with these guys and they create something where these guys almost feel bad to leave the company. And that's the one common denominator I see in the trucking industry where there's a connection between ownership and employee. 
So that's the one thing. But for the most part, because of we're dealing with a lot of the attrition, for whatever reason, the long hauls, driving longer hours, it's a difficult balancing act where employers, which is where I think Class A transport and what we've done and what we've really focused on is just getting employers more people to talk to. If they have more people to talk to, they can get more people behind the trucks. They can ultimately you know, have a pipeline of people filled where they don't have to sit with empty trucks. That's just my view on it. And there's, you know, like I say, and it's, there's just no magic pill to any of it, but there are definitely things that could be done to, to minimize, I think, some of these pain points. And it's a work in progress. You know, it's, it's, it's a work in process with, uh, in any industry. Uh, and it's not easy, but, and, and coming from permanent placement, I think that I realize really how difficult to be a great recruiter is to find people, to get them and things like that. Not to, you know, scare people, but I think it's also just fundamental, fundamental things you do from start to finish to get people, you know, when they apply to, you know, start work. So Damon, I'm kind of curious. I asked this of a lot of the guests that I've had on this, on, on the podcast, because I think everyone seems to have variations on the same model in terms of revenue, but I suspect yours might be a little bit different. What is the revenue model for your site? You know, I have for so many years really looked at what is the best way to go about this. And, you know, originally I looked at the standard job posting model and I just could never make that work. I just, for some reason, I struggled with it. So what we did is we came up with an idea where we were going to blend our model and be the a sort of a blend between an ad agency, a recruitment agency, and a job board. We were going to take the best of all three and create one all-encompassing product. So what we hmm. basically have done is we created a a suite of products where employers come to us, we'll run a campaign form where we create the ads, we do the marketing, we promote it, we do all of these different things through texting, through emailing, through inbound call campaigns, uh, syndication. We created an API where if an employer comes to us and says, you know, um, I'm looking for drivers out of Chicago, let's assume. We have a little thing that'll say, all right, you have four or five major cities from Chicago, but then you have, you know, 50 or 100 smaller cities. Well, our platform will replicate these campaigns a hundred different times. Mm. and give mass content out there and it'll fall into our feeds. And this is how we've really been able to build a candidate base of close to a quarter million drivers so far. So the revenue model sends, uh, centers around the campaigns we run where it's a flat fee and they can run that over one month, two months, three months, or four months or a year. They can add additional locations to the campaigns, which they pay a fee for that. Then they can have access to our backend database system. And our backend database system, there's an, that's an add-on for that, which is really a resume system. But it's it's a unique interface that we created where it let's assume they're looking for drivers in you know Ohio somewhere. It will preload all of the applicants, and it uses a keyword system where you basically can say, "I want hazmat drivers out of you know Zanesville, Ohio." And it'll instantly filter the applicants without having to run a search. And then they can just open them and go down the screen and just start calling. 
So we've created that as a product. And then they also, you know, have a dashboard where they can see top performing ads and, you know, manage their ads and the applicants that apply, they have a, we have a lightweight CRM where they can reject candidates, things like that. So it's really an all encompassing approach where they pay for the services we offer, you know, the texting, the emailing, the campaigns, the locations, and then they get all these additional tools to get the best and the most out of the campaign. I find that really interesting because, you know, when I do my news roundups for my blog, I used to always say, you know, news of the job board industry. And then probably three, four years ago, I started saying news of job board and recruitment marketing industry because Interesting. there's, there's mm-hmm. sites like yours that are really acting more as a recruitment marketing platform slash agency. Yeah. You know, there's certainly certainly happens in a lot of different niches, not just your niche. But I think the thing that struck me was the very first thing you said. You said, we write the ads. And I was mm. thinking, there's so many job boards that would kill to be able to do that for their clients because a lot of the problems that happen with their clients tend to be bad original content from the employer. You, you know, you, you can do all the marketing you want, but if you have a not very good posting, you're screwed. And what's so interesting about that point is that over the years through statistics, I've been a real stickler for metrics and really seeing bounce rates, you know, to the point where the landing pages that the drivers apply on down to the size and the color of the fonts have been dialed in to reduce bounce rates over the years, how they interact with the application, where we place things, where we do things. And, you know, we have found over time, like employers, when we set these campaigns that might send me this book job description, and we will let them know saying, look, we can do this as is, but the reality is in this market, because, you know, 95% of your applicants are coming via way of mobile, they're not going to go through all this. And a lot of these things are very generic for the industry. Let's pull them out when they apply and you reach out to them, then you can kind of fill in the gap. And, you know, we've tested it both ways. We've done the longer ads and then we've done kind of what we're seeing in the market. And whenever we make that adjustment, it's a night and day. It's a night and day approach. It really is. And our employers really appreciate that we do that. I'm, I'm sure that has an effect on your employer retention. So Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's a big thing. So, and you know, it's all about employer retention. <laughs> we do our best, you know, I stay up at night trying to figure out how to, you know, keep a hundred percent of them and it's never going to happen, but Hey, I could shoot for it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got to have a goal. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so well, well, listen, Damon. It's uh, we're we're out of time, but it's been wonderful talking with you. Um, I, it was incredibly illuminating. Now, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, email Damon at classatransport.com. So okay. uh, spelled just as it sounds. I can leave a number if you're good with it. They can always reach me if people got questions. I'll throw it out. You ready? Six six one area code six zero seven. Three seven seven four, and I'm I'm always accessible at that number, and I'm the type of guy that always returns calls too. Well, listen, Damon, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great to have you. It has been a pleasure with spending time with you guys. It really has. Good. And Stephen, if anyone wants to get in touch with you for any unknown reason, how, how do they do that? <laughs> well, uh, by the time this episode drops, I will be getting ready to just basically sit in front of my TV for the next two months watching NHL playoffs. So they can find me there. <laughs> 
But assuming that they have not yet realized that hockey is the one and only true sport, they can email me at steven at collegerecruiter.com. David, it was uh, awesome. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It was likewise with you guys. It really, really was. So That's it for this episode of Job Board Geek. Be sure, if you like it, or even if you don't like it, to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, whatever whatever floats your boat. This is Jeff Dickey Chasens. I am the Job Board Doctor, and you've been listening to the only podcast that focuses on the business of connecting candidates and employers. That's all for now. I'll see you again next time. Thanks.